For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. What's going on, guys? And welcome inside another edition of the Sports Ethos Sacramento Kings podcast. If you are actually tuning in to listen, despite how the Kings have been playing, despite the fact that they've full-on leaned into the tank, I commend you. I don't know what's wrong with you. Uh, you're kind of crazy, but we appreciate you listening. And uh, thankfully, we're not actually going to be talking about the Kings. We're going to talk about the coaching candidates that Jill has on her coaching list that we've been slowly revealing throughout this season. So I'm going to take you now to Jill. We're actually doing this. We're recording this separately. Her and I are on different schedules right now. But I'm going to take you to Jill, who's going to break down the next coach on her list, a New York Knicks assistant coach. And then I'm also going to attach into it these previous coaches from the first time we ever did this, the first two coaches from her list that I forgot to attach last time. So you're going to hear a review of two coaches that we've already shared and one new coach. All right, and then be sure to listen in Wednesday night. We're going to do a recap of the Kings-Pacers game and Tyrese Halliburton's likely revenge game against Sacramento. You just know he's going to drop 30. All right, guys, talk to you soon. Enjoy. So the next coach we're going to talk about today is Johnny Bryant, also known as the All-Star Maker. So Johnny is a young 36 years old, but he's actually been in the league since 2012, so 10 years already. Uh, Like many of the others I've listed before, Bryant was an undersized point guard, but could shoot the lights out. Um, And one of the things that he credits of, you know, of where he is now is that um, his junior year of high school, he had to sit out for the year because of his grades. And so his then coach, Uh, basically kind of gave him a challenge, you know, uh, every day you're going to go in that room for five minutes and study. He said, then it became 10 then it became 30, then it became 40. And it, it just became a daily thing and it worked the next year he was able to play. They ended up winning the state championship. He ended up going to the university of Utah and was able to play under Jim Boylan. He, during his, uh, his college stint, he, um, like I mentioned, he was a lights out shooter, his career average for the three years at Utah or four years at Utah was a three years. Sorry. Cause he went to junior college for a year and then, and then Utah, but for the three years there, 44% three point percentage. And he actually still holds the mountain West record because back then Utah was in the Mountain West, um, but he still holds the Mountain West record for three-point percentage. And um, his final season, he actually won the team MVP award. And then um, after college, uh, during the 08-09 season, he ended up playing for a year in Germany. And um, that's when he averaged 22.3 points per game. So he played really well. But ultimately, his mom uh, was sick, so he came home and relocated back to Salt Lake City. But uh, one thing interesting, so 
he's not from Salt Lake City. Uh, he actually grew up in Oakland and played for the same AAU team now that's known uh, for Dame. Um, Dame actually calls Bryant his big brother. And he uh, actually credits Johnny for helping him transition um, as a player from grade uh, seven all the way through high school and then through college at um, Weber State. So he was saying he remembers in seventh grade, Johnny coming back while he was still playing Utah and um, playing, going and playing the, the kids at the neighborhood, um, you know, the neighborhood court. And so um, Bryant says he still has a screensaver of that um, backboard uh, that they used to play on that neighborhood. And as Dame says, it's one of the rims with the no nets and um, they, you know, they had the same, you know, coaching and mentors growing up and that um, Johnny would also come back and go to basketball games with um, Dame. And so they had a relationship off the court as well. And um, he just says he's a big reason of, of why he made it to where he is. And one of the things I think that helped too was Dame's coach at Weber was actually an assistant at Utah when Johnny was there. So again, they had more links to each other um, and ways of connecting, but it's just one thing that, you know, coming from the same neighborhood and, and Johnny was that, you know, um, guy you know from from the town that that kids looked up to he he was you know he was out succeeding and um so that's kind of a cool full story there so again after he left um germany he came back to salt lake city um to help his mom and that's when he actually decided to um if you want to say put the shoes uh put you know hang the shoes up and he decided to uh dive head first into coaching and development and so that following year, he opened the Bryant Sports Academy, which uh, was known as a unique skills and development program. He worked privately, uh, privately with the likes of, again, Dame Lillard, Ronnie Price, C.J. Wilcox, and Paul Millsap. Uh, he was known for having a knack at developing relationships and skill development. Uh, he's mentored more than 125 athletes between pro college and his community outreach Ronnie Price, who we all know and love, was actually his first pro athlete, and Price credits him for being able to have the 12-year career uh, that he did, um, and then following uh, Price became uh, Millsap, and so um, one of the biggest connections might probably have come uh, next when he started working with Ty Corbin's son, Tyrell. And as you will see shortly, um, why that connection ended up being so important. So during a 2012 workout with Millsap, uh, Bryant noticed that they had a couple new observers in the gym. Um, and it happened to be uh, Marv Williams and the new GM, uh, the new jazz GM, Dennis Lindsay. So he'd heard good things about Bryant from then coach uh, Corbin, Millsap, and then former of University Utah coach Jim Boylan. So again, um, he had glowing recommendations from those players. And so Lindsay said, Hey, I'm going to go check this out. Um, was so impressed with the workout that four days later, uh, the Utah jazz hired him as a player development coach under Ty Corbin. And then, um, in 2014, uh, when Quinn Snyder, um, there, 
He actually promoted Bryant as an official assistant coach. And um, he was with Snyder for uh, six total seasons and credited with uh, roles in development of Gordon Hayward and Donovan Mitchell. Uh, Mitchell says that Brian um, was the first coach that he met that actually probably watched as much film, if not more uh, than he did, and that he would send him daily messages with clips and videos attached with notes. And he said, um, you know, he never took that negatively. It was always like, you know, this guy cares. And, you know, he follows up the notes with actual, you know, videos and, and kind of critiques. Uh, they said he hacks, he shoves, his critiques are quiet, but yet they cut. And that um, Mitchell says he would work as hard as he could just to shut him up. So players say that he specializes in finding the distance between a player's comfort zone and where he needs to be pushed. Um, that you can get after somebody and yell at them unless um, you can't get after somebody and yell at them unless you actually teach them something. You can't beat them to the ground if they don't know you care. And they always felt like he taught him something and that they knew that he cared deeply, you know, not just on the court, but off as well. And um, he graduated. And one thing I think that helps with that, that he graduated from uh, University of Utah with um two degrees, one in sports management and one in human and family development. So to me, he kind of has that whole spectrum of the sports side and then knowing the um, human side and emotions and, and how to, you know, develop those relationships as well. So um, even though Hayward ended up choosing Boston over the jazz in his next contract, he says that he wouldn't have had the career he did without Bryant and that they still talk often. And that's one of the biggest credits that Brian gets from players that he has prolonged their careers and then still keeps in contact, whether uh, they're on the team or having moved on. Um, Millsap became an all-star in Atlanta. Ian Clark won a championship with the Warriors. Uh, Hayward's continued his success, you know, and he was an all-star. Um, one cool thing was I mentioned Marv, Marv Williams was at that workout with Dennis Lindsay. So when he became a member of the Hornets, he ended up hitting a floater um, over the Jazz in a game. And as he was running down the court, uh, he yelled at the Jazz bench, thank you, Johnny, because that particular shot that he hit was um, a shot that Johnny actually, um, the exact shot that Johnny had been working with him on to create. Um uh, and then you've seen uh, Donovan Mitchell, you know, excel and be an all-star under um, under Bryant. Bryant says that Snyder has increased his knowledge of the game and that he pays more attention to footwork, players using their bodies to shed defenders and how they react to particular sets and schemes. When Tibbs was hired in New York, Bryant was brought on as his lead assistant. Um, I think you can see the development of RJ Barrett and Randall since Brian has joined the staff. Um, many give credit uh, to Bryant with RJ's continued development. And uh, Tib said that he met uh, Bryant during um, his jazz stint and that he was impressed by his ability to teach the game. Uh, he said that um, Johnny's someone uh, I got to know a little bit when I was traveling around have a great respect for the people in Utah. I've worked with Lindsay in Houston. I've gotten to know Quinn Snyder over the years and have a great respect for what they've done. 
the thing that stood out when I went to Utah and spent time there was Johnny's teaching ability. I came away very impressed with him. So again, um, whether you believe in X's and O's or player development or what you think this team should do, um, you know, to build out their staff, guys who can get the most out of players are a dime a dozen and why they become NBA lifers and, and stick around. And so uh, Johnny Bryant very much seems like that guy and uh, Dennis Lindsay, uh, Quinn Snyder, Thibs, they're all saying that this kid's time is going to come, whether it be now or a little later, that, that players trust him, front office trusts him, fellow coaches trust him. Um, and basically the guy does nothing but get, you know, the best results out of people. So to me, it's, it's a big name to look at. And something I think is interesting is, you know, we hear all the rumors of what's going to happen with Tibbs in New York and not, um, one of the rumors going around in New York is, uh, Bryant's off obviously as the lead assistant, they think he would be kind of first in line as, as someone to look at, but that Leon Rose is the team president and was the, um, former agent of Donovan Mitchell. And so if you were to hire a Johnny Bryant and you had Rose there, could you attract, um, a Donovan Mitchell, you know, who knows, but, um, again, always things to look at when you're building a team, um, that, you know, there's, there's strategy when it comes to things like that. So again, Johnny Bryant, uh, big fan of the guy. And I mean, I think the, the nickname of all-star maker speaks for itself. So thank you guys as always. And that was Johnny Bryant, all-star maker. Hey guys, so we're going to do something a little new this week. Um, Sam is uh, out on vacation in Hawaii and things are starting to uh, wrap up for the season. And with that, we're assuming uh, there will be some coaching changes. So I know I've given you guys uh, four names so far. And next week, we're going to start with uh, more off the list. But I just wanted to do a quick recap of the four. Um, because I know the first two were, um, you know, right after Walton's firing in November. And then the other two were a little bit after. And so I just want to do a quick recap. Bear in mind, you are going to be hearing some names that are no longer here. But um, for the most part, you know what I mean? Like the, the guys are still guys I would be considering, um, you know, I considered them pre-move. They're guys I would still be considering post-move. So um, once again, uh, here are the first four. And uh, as always, thanks for tuning in. Yeah, the first two I'm going to talk about today are um, probably no surprise to anybody, uh, Sam Cassell and Kenny Atkinson. Um, those will be the first two names off. Um, so most people know Sam Cassell, right? He had a 15-year NBA career, right, uh, that spanned the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference. Um, he is known as the guard whisperer, but during his, um, his playing days, he was a multiple-time All-Star, three-time NBA champion, um, made an All-NBA team, just a very, as, as any 
coach would say he is an extremely high basketball IQ guy. And so after he retired from the game, he uh, went and joined um, his ex-coach, Flip Saunders, um, on the Wizards bench. So, <clears throat> so um, yes, Sam showed it as a player and as an assistant since he joined the bench. Um, he's coached for Flip and for Doc, most notably Doc for most of the years um, in the league. And Doc calls him a, an extremely high-level game strategist. So one of the things that he loves about him the most is his basketball IQ and being able to read the court the way only some of the most successful point guards in the league can. Um, he played, again, I mentioned this, he played in the NBA for 15 years. Um, and then uh, once he started with the Wizards, he was there for four or five years, I believe, um, under Flip. And um, when his second, I believe it was his second or third year, is when John Wall came in to the league. So <clears throat> if you listen to pretty much any interview John Wall will give, he hands down credits Sam Cassell um, for starting off his career and essentially like the trajectory um, that it went and, and the minutias. And so shortly after that, they have uh, Bradley Beal. He's saying the same comments. So back to John Wall in 2014, um, he, uh, that was John Wall's rookie year. And he helped change his jump shot from 26.7% to the following season, 35%. So this is just jump shot. This is not getting to the rim, you know, which John Wall excels at. This is strictly taking a guy's jump shot and taking it from 26% to 35 in a year's worth span. That's a 10% jump. He said they changed it mechanically, like they went through it. And um, John oh. Wall, you know, increased every year after that. But again, he credits... He credits him. So that same year, he actually helped recruit Paul Pierce to join the Wizards, and that helped them take the franchise to its first playoff series in nearly a decade. So again, he's impacting the players on the court, but he's also being used as, a, you know, in respect to guys he played with as a recruiter. So the Kings have drafted, right? They have De'Aaron Fox. They've drafted two more guards since Monty's taken over. Um, at least as of right now, how this roster is built, your guards are your centerpieces, right? Like they are what you're building around. Having a guy at the helm known as the guard whisperer um, sounds extremely, you know, appealing yeah. uh, to me and makes a hell of a lot of a sense. So. Um, Cassell is number one on the list. Not, not number one so, overall, but first one to come off the list, Sam Cassell. Yeah. So, so I, I'm not done. So there's, oh, okay. yeah. I thought you were so, um, but the other thing was, um, credit to, uh, another funny thing that doc was saying was that Bradley Beal went off against, um, the Sixers for 60 points last year. So doc blamed Cassell post game for that happening and said, had you not helped bring this guy along? Like we wouldn't have just had 60 put on us. Like what the hell dude? Um, so like you just get little funny, you know, tidbits like that. And so, um, Shay Alexander gives credit to, um, Cassell from his time being in LA, Paul George, 
Why Leonard? Like you're seeing him do it to right now to stars, right? So once moving to the um, Sixers with Doc, once he was, you know, released, uh, he followed Doc to um, the Sixers. A lot of uh, Clippers media thought that um, Cassell might end up getting the job this last year. It ended up going, um, or two years ago, it ended up going to, to Lou, but he was another guy in, in, in consideration. Um, and so once he moved to the Sixers, um, Doc essentially put him with Ben Simmons. And Simmons' assist to turnover ratio completely changed and went up. So, like, we know that, that Simmons was already a, a pretty good player minus, you know, maybe the shot, um, or at least a three-point shot. Like, he's he's fine and was fine kind of in the mid-range. But um, one thing he specifically did change was the assist-to-turnover ratio. That's something we could use here as well. Um, and then uh, you're seeing Maxi right now have a completely breakout year with the Sixers. And literally all Doc keeps saying is over and over almost every game. And there's a bunch of articles on, you know, Sixers media right now is how Tyrese Maxey worked all summer with Sam Cassell. He worked last year with them and then all summer this year and uh, new versions of shots you're seeing, like where he's taking him, just his smarts on the court, um, completely, completely changing his game. Um, another thing I thought was interesting was when um, Austin Rivers, so not a star, right? Austin Rivers was traded to the Clippers. Um, he said he was kind of worried, scared. He had never played for his dad before. And um, which I thought was kind of interesting, uh, but he never, he never played under his dad, but I guess not surprising since his dad's probably not really coaching younger since he's, he's been coaching above, but, um, and he wasn't sure how the locker room would accept him. And so he said that unbeknownst to him, like Sam picked him up and they went right to the, to the facility and sat him down and was like, I'm going to work like we're yeah. going to work together. And so he said they sat on the bench and he, that Sam asked him, like, what do you want out of your career? Like, what do you want? What's, what's your goal? And uh, Rivers said that he was talking about, you know, his, his offense and all these kinds of things. And um, Sam stopped and was like, no, like you got here because of your offense, right? Like we know that if you want to see any time on this court, you're going to have to play defense. Like that's the only way you Austin rivers are seeing the court. Um, so if you're willing to accept that and you want to work with me, I'll come early. I'll stay late. I will do this with you. Um, but you have to let me know. And he said, don't worry about, you know, offense X, Y, Z, whatever, figure out this defense part. You'll get the minutes and the rest will come. Um, he said, Austin said he would not still be in the league had he not had that conversation with, with, with Sam Cassell and accepted that and literally worked with him post pre like everything. And you saw Austin Rivers get the minutes. And it was also noted that uh, Mike Malone said um, a couple days ago that the only reason that they looked at Austin Rivers on Denver right now was because um, Sam told doc that he thought that Austin might fit well um, with the nuggets and, Malone respected that enough and, yeah. um, the, you know, front work. office, whatever, like they went to it, but I mean, he's clearly watching, you know, other, other stuff. He's dealing with his own games, but it just, to me, it goes back to that. Like there's respect out there. Right. And 
it's it's countless players from whether your role players buying in to your younger stars developing to actual stars um, buying in. And then I'll end it with uh, to recap what um, Doc's, uh, Doc's quote was, Sam Cassell should be a head coach, period. He's got an incredibly high basketball IQ. I just hope he gets a shot. When they talk about paying dues, he's paid every due that's possible and he's yet to get a job. So I'm hoping that happens. Um, and I would say this last time uh, was probably the closest he's actually come um, the last couple of years into uh, into actually landing that. But guard whisperer, Sam Cassell, um, it, it's hard for me to see any kind of negatives with him at, at, at this point. Was it, like you said, an incredible basketball player for a long time. And then to, to emphasize what Doc Rivers had said, Sam Cassell is 52 years old and has been an assistant coach since 2009. Yeah, he's mm -hmm. paid his dues. It's not like he's raw or he's a little too young because the next guy you're about to mention is 54. He's the same age practically as Sam Cassell. Right. Both ex-players who just who found ways to transition into right. staying with the game. Yeah. So he he's due is is mm -hmm. is how I'm figuring this. And I years I, ago. I had, yeah. Yeah. I hadn't really thought too much about yeah. Cassell. I thought too much about the coaching. Yeah. Uh, option the, the, there's there's quite a few guys on my list that that fall into that that category Third time yeah um, oh and actually yeah oh well do the next one because i have the odds that were posted about the next king's coach okay cool i'll use um, that mention that after you're done okay cool so kenny um a lot of people probably know kenny from uh the nets you know run but i'll say so he is also an next player and he ended up playing quite a few years overseas. He played, he, um, and then transitioned from overseas and became a coach. And he started with the, uh, it was the Paris, uh, Paris basket washers or basket weaver, some Paris basketball team. And then he got picked up by Mike D'Antoni to coach with the Knicks. But I thought that was totally random. I was like, who is his Paris team? But so his, his first stint in the NBA as a coach was um, under Mike D'Antoni with the Knicks. So their first two seasons were not great. Their last two seasons, they ended up making the playoffs. Um, and then he actually made the move to Atlanta um, to be under Mike B. And after one season, um, they actually took Atlanta to the playoffs. And uh, it was one more year, which they again made the playoffs. And Atlanta was like that fun team everyone was loving. Um, and then, then he was given that head coaching gig with the Brooklyn Nets. So um, I'll start off at least how the guys felt about him in Atlanta. Um, Kyle Corver said when he was a free agent that he wasn't sure about the Hawks' future, but when he found out Kenny was returning, he knew that Atlanta would be in good hands. He'd be perfectly fine. Ken Baysmore gushed about Atkinson's mastery of the pick and roll and his ability to communicate with players and simply things, um, simple things, the way that great point guards can do for many teams. So again, like Sam Cassell was a point guard. They just, a lot of point guards have a way to read a court that, a lot of other players don't. And one thing that Kenny, um, that Kent Bazemore said about Kenny was he could do it as a player. And then he had a way of, as a coach to, this is the same thing. Interesting enough that Washington players are saying about Wes Unseld, that they just have a way of explaining it, that they're getting things that they never got the before that it never clicked with them just based on how they're laying it out, how they're explaining it. Like, whatever it is about these guys, like, 
it, it, it clicks with players. Like it's their, how they walk through it, whatever it is. Um, they just have a great communication skills of, of somehow relaying it. Um, again, Steve Kerr raved about him and, um, not shockingly enough, he's now say. on uh, the uh, Golden State bench um, as one of his lead assistants. So, but um, going back to Brooklyn, which most people know him for based on his first head coaching gig, um, he's another coach that's touted for his player development. The first two years were rough. Not shockingly, Sean Marks had right just taken over. He got hired from the Spurs to take them over. They had no stars and no draft picks. And like, literally, like they had traded um, everything away. So, so yeah. So Sean and Kenny came together and was like, we have to find ways to maximize, right? What's on the court. Like this is the hand we're dealt. Um, And they improved every year. Right. And so Kenny's job was to maximize what was on the court, despite the win uh, and loss record. So this coming 25 different Nets players played over 16 minutes per game. Right. And so looking at from the outside, if you're just looking at stats, um, all but four. So 21 players actually improved in multiple stat areas um, under under Kenny's job. Um, that's pretty damn impressive. Like 25 non like complete role players. Right. Like young rookies, role players, um, 20, 21 of the guys improved in multiple areas of their stats. Uh, he even had guys like Quincy AC and Tyler Zeller hitting the three ball, which they will say that was never, ever part of their game before, and they weren't bad at it. Uh, so that was completely new to them. And then um, notable young players, again, were Dinwid- at the time, Dinwiddie, Jared Allen, Karis LeVert. Um, you've all, you know, seen them Russell go on to be successful. You've seen them go to be successful. Yes. Um, and then you add... Yeah, this was prior to, to Russell um, okay. joining. But, um, and then uh, at that time, so these were the the young, like, rookies at that time. Dinwiddie, Jared Allen, Levert, um, the vets, they had Damari Carroll, ended up having a career year, went on to make a great contract after that and hasn't really done much since, but got a career year out of Damari Carroll. Um, and then uh, Joe Harris went from being in the G League, you know, second round pick from the Cavs that never got time to um, becoming a legitimate role player and getting that, what, 70-something million-dollar contract. And uh, Brooke Lopez actually says that he became a revitalized stretch center uh, thanks to to Kenny, and he's continued on that role with the Milwaukee Bucks and, um, you know, helped win win a, win a championship. Uh, Russell came on, com- um, completely revamped um, Russell's career. Um, then you saw them kind of make that jump, right? They, we had that horrible game against them where they came back and beat us. And that was kind of one of like Yeager's, I think, nail in, in the coffin games at the end. Um, players loved him and they said that he completely changed the culture and the culture changed enough to attract Kyrie and Durant. Like that's, no one was talking about them them going to the Nets. Like it wasn't, it was, are they going to go to the Knicks? Or, you know, are they going to, stay with the Warriors. And so um, had had Kenny not been able to do what he did with these, those young guys, I'm not completely sold that those guys end up end up going there. Maybe they do, maybe they don't, but um, I have no reason to believe 
otherwise based on at least what they've said. Um, Kevin Durant said that he was Googling him all the time, trying to find out as much as he could um, about him. And so really the only cracks that started to show during that part was when he had to mold the stars and the vets and they didn't totally agree on player rotations and things like that. Not completely shocking when you're kind of a player development coach and then all of a sudden two superstars are thrown in. And what got me was, but some of those rotation things, it to me, he was right. He was he was playing Jared Allen all those minutes, and the vets were getting mad. And DeAndre, DeAndre Jordan. Jordan was, yep, um, that's not why, you know, I signed here. And, and the big guys were like, that's not why you signed here, you know. And look what's happened, right? They trade Jared Allen. He goes and gets paid the big money from Cleveland. He's excelling. DeAndre Jordan is now um, on the, like, was not long for the Nets and then is now on the Lakers. So, um, like, to me, that's, you know, and he ended up resigning, you know, they all felt like it's, he had taken them as far as he could take them and they, and they separated. But um, he is a guy, again, from New York to Atlanta to, um, to New Jersey. With stars, without stars, he gets the most out of every single player. Um, the the Atlanta guys, when he finally got that, the, the Nets job, my guy, man, my guy get, is getting his shot. Like, they were so excited for him that because of how much he changed their game, they got him, he got him wins, he got him paid, like, that they saw the fruits of it and that they said that he's out there and, uh, what was it, um, he's out there with no shoes on. Um <laughs> And uh, what was it? Um, he's out there with no shoes on, um, first person in the gym, like doing push-ups out there with them. Um, and just like he has fun with them, but he gets the production uh, out of those guys. And so, but you saw it in the wins, but then you saw it when he took over in, in the scheming. Like he found ways to put guys in good positions. So um a lot of people are surprised he hasn't been picked up anywhere else. I yeah. was surprised too. Um, but also not totally surprised depending on organizations and what their kind of goal is. Like if you're looking a guy to necessarily um, take you to the next step, I, I don't, I don't, we've only we, seen one scenario of that. Right. And it was like very specific too, to where he was actually right. And, and at least from what I'm reading, you know I mean? In those fights of, of rotation. So um, I know, again, Steve Kerr is a huge advocate and uh, as long, along with a lot of the other um, players and coaches in the league. So, yeah, there, there's a certain some coaches and this is why Atkinson, I think is a perfect fit for the Kings. Some coaches are not meant to be the coaches of super teams. That, that takes a specific skill set and a different type of person. And there's very right. And there's only so many teams in the league right now. that are super teams. The rest of them are right. trying to. All have very particular yep. type of guys running their yep. teams. Steve Nash, Tyron Lue, Steve Kerr. It's particular. Kenny Atkinson would be, I think, very much like Dave Yeager and how he develops a lot of talent. Is a very very smart guy. Seems to have obviously much more personal skills, communication skills, than the guys that all like him, which is a quality of Yeager's that was ultimately his biggest demise. So yeah, it's not surprising, Jill, that. He's on the list. A team with no draft picks and who people said would never turn around to a playoffs before the Kings ever did. Yep. <laughs> like, I mean, yep. it was. Reach it. And they were fun. <laughs> I remember watching that playoffs. I was yeah. really rooting for them. I was really, really. I forgot who they lost to. They got. I think it they was got the first swept. round. Yeah. 
Okay, so that finishes the first two on the list that we did. And so next we will go to my next two.